Welcome to The Driven Entrepreneur, where we sit down with visionaries, trailblazers, and entrepreneurs and discover why and how they do what they do. We'll get the backstory, plus plenty of life and business lessons along the way. Here's your host, Matt Browning. Hey, welcome back to the show. It's Matt Browning. So excited to be with you today. Thanks for letting us into your home the gym, the car, your bed. I don't know where we are, but I'm glad to be with you. Uh, thank you so much. Um, this show is, man, it's always so much fun because of course we're interviewing some amazing, amazing entrepreneurs, people doing awesome things. And you know, sometimes it's someone I've met recently. Sometimes it's someone that got connected with a publicist and sometimes it's good friends that I've known for a long time. So today I'm excited because I have uh, a dear friend that I've known for years now. Ms. Jane Duber is going to be with us today. Uh, Jane has had 30 years of supporting entrepreneurs uh, to have amazing businesses. She's huge in planning and creating annual plans, business plans uh, for getting started. She started in 1987 with her and her husband starting their first business with $5,000 and a big vision. So we're going to talk about that a little bit. Grew that business to $2.5 million and then sold it, which is nice. She's founded six additional businesses and each one... Uh, starting with just a made-up plan. So I can't wait to find out what <laughs> what a made-up plan looks like. She's also lived uh, and traveled all over the world. Uh, she's done things like breaking a six-year standing sales record on the number one Canadian TV shopping channel. So huge. She's taken two businesses to the multi-million dollar mark and beyond. You don't find that very often that you find someone who's an entrepreneur that's gotten a business to a million dollars, let alone a multi-million, and has done it twice. Pretty amazing. She's also been... Uh, married to her soulmate, Mario, for nearly 30 years. Phenomenal, phenomenal, just uh, family, business, and all around one of the really just the kindest, most genuine humans that you'll ever have a chance to connect with. So with all that said, Jane Duber, <laughs> welcome to the show. How are you, my friend? I'm so good, Matt. I'm so glad to be here with you. And, and I really, really appreciate that. Oh, my but goodness. This has been something I, I've been looking for. We, this has been, we had it on the calendar for a couple months now <laughs> through the holidays. And it is, uh, I'm so, so excited uh, to get our time together. So Me my too. first question for you, I want to jump in uh, right away is, you know, someone who's done what you do that, you know, serial entrepreneur uh, started many businesses. I love to find out what were you like growing up? Were you the, like the six-year-old with a lemonade stand or were you the entrepreneur that was like, Hey, I was going to be a, a singer or an engineer and I hated college. So I went this way instead. Like, is it in your bones? <laughs> is it in your blood? Or did you find this later? Well, I will say, you know, I did have, I grew up in an entrepreneurial home. So my dad had businesses all my life. So I, I definitely was in that environment, but my siblings teased that like somewhere around college and late high school, you know, um, early college, they say it was sort of the invasion of the body snatchers <laughs> because I completely <laughs> changed. Like I was the kid who like, you know, loved uh, Gilligan's Island and would watch reruns and ate Captain Crunch. And I was, I was pretty lazy <laughs> as a kid, to be quite honest. And uh, it sort of, we lived out in the country. So I was kind of um, a loner. I'd spend a lot of time you know, out in the woods with my imaginary life. And, and uh, so there was some creativity there. But no, like something happened to me around high school. And um, my, my family will tell you that it really was an invasion of the body snatchers. <laughs> what, what did your dad do? Well, he, it was interesting. I mean, when he and my moms first started out, they were dirt poor. Like he was shooting squirrel and rabbit 
like to put food on the table. They got married very young right after he came back from World War II. And he just, he knew he started off in sales, actually started off in a steel mill, then went to sales and he found his groove in sales. It was his thing. He loved it. He was great at it and he was great at building relationships. And so that led him to be, you know, top salesperson with that company and ended up buying a dealership for that company. So he's very early on in the forklift, you know, when they first invented the forklift, everybody needed one. So you know, he was, his timing was awesome. You know, he was great with people and he just, you know, began building businesses from there. So I think that's where I got the serial entrepreneur genes from. Did he travel a lot? Was he, was he gone like a traveling salesman doing that gig or was he working from the same place? Maybe in the early years. I mean, I think it was a lot, you know, there's four of us and the two early words, you know, the two earlier kids, I think it was a little harder for them because I think he was a bit on the road, but yeah, no, by the time I'd come around, he was, he was doing good. <laughs> and so, you know, he got to go into the office and, and work from home. So yeah, I had the typical, you know, my mom wanted to create the June Cleaver family. So mom was to stay at home and dad was building businesses and we were driving them both crazy as kids. Well, look, I hope you take this as a compliment because it is, but you kind of remind me of, uh, in a way, like your personality and your heart is a very June Cleavery sort of. <laughs> okay, I'll like, take it. You, just, you are, every time I'm around you. And we, we spent, you know, it's funny, we, we haven't like hung out, hung out just all over the place, but we see each other yeah. at so many events. And every time I see you, it's like, it's like a breath of fresh air. It's always like, oh, it's Jane. That's so good. I can just let my guard down. You know, I can, I can relax and just chat with a friend and, and I feel like that's not as much, again, like I don't want to take away from us. I don't think it's as much our relationship as it is probably your way of being. And I feel like you probably get that reaction from a lot of people. Is that fair to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair to say. Thank you for that. You know, I, to me, business is, um, it's about an exchange of energy, right? And whether we're doing it online or one-on-one, it's a sacred opportunity to be able to get to know someone. So yeah, I love live events. I love really creating a connection as much as I possibly can in a little bit of time that we have. And it's easy with people like you, my dear, because you 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 come from that space as well. And so I think that's why we, we mesh. And gosh, I wish that for everybody because when you can get out of your head and into your heart when you're networking, that's where the magic happens for sure. All right, now that we're done patting each other on the back, that was nice. <laughs> Where, let's get down to it. <laughs> let's get down to it. But what, what brought you to, you know, I, I know you got your bachelor's in East Asian studies. You studied Mandarin Chinese. You lived in Taiwan. You lived in Japan. Um, I love Japan. You know, some of the listeners may have heard this story, so I don't want to bore them with it again. But, you know, I, I, one of my best friends moved over to Japan to uh, teach English. Uh, I went and visited them for a while. We did our honeymoon in Japan. So I, I have a really special place in my heart for uh, different Asian cultures, especially Japanese. What, when did you get interested in that? What brought you to decide to live overseas and in such a starkly different environment? Yeah, well, so I was from Ohio growing up in the cornfields, right? So when I went to Couldn't undergrad, be more different. <laughs> I know, really, um, when I went to undergrad, there was a professor that I had, Eugene Swanger, and he um, had been a Lutheran minister turned, you know, Asian uh, enthusiast. And so he, he, I took a course on um, Asian religions and I was just so fascinated with the culture, the history, you know, it's such richer and deeper than what we have. And so I just, I just was drawn to it. And much to my father's dismay, my, my major in, in uh, East Asian studies, which is why I had to go get a master's because you can't do anything with East Asian studies. Um, I had to get my master's in business, but I think it was just the culture, you know, the Chinese language is fascinating. You know, one of my favorite characters in the Chinese is Mandarin is what I spoke or speak. Um, 
the 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 character if you if you think it's made up of radicals but matt the character for love if you translate the different parts of that character it is words wrapped in silk spoken from the heart whoa yeah like that's the visual representation of love so, you know, when I learned these things early on, I decided to, you know, study it, continued for, then I went on to graduate school at Middlebury where you, you actually can take a language. So got my master's in business, Chinese, and then I lived over there and I was actually going to go there. I was going to go start a trade company. I wanted to live in China and, and you know, negotiate deals with the U.S. And now, now that we know what it is, I can't believe I didn't do it, but I didn't do it because I fell, <laughs> I fell in love with a local and he was from Ecuador. And I, I said, okay, I'm not going to go overseas. I'm going to stay here in Monterey, California. And we've built a life together. So I'm glad I picked him, but I was on track. And Mario. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So, okay, so can we get, can we get a little, uh, little, little Chinese example here? Tell me something cool. great. I know you, I know <laughs> well, you can do something on the spot. The easy one is ni hao ma. That's that's the uh, the the greeting. Um, you know, meo meo gui hei. So that's one one way of saying uh, I have no um, I have not a, no opportunity to practice. That's how I apologize when I speak to someone in in Chinese because it's so horrible my Chinese right now at this point. But at least I can make them laugh. So so, so what does that mean? It says. I, I speak um, Chinese, but I have no I, time I'm to basically you're apologizing for your poor Chinese because you don't have the opportunity to practice very much. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And did you yeah. pick up any Japanese when you were over living there? I did. I tried Japanese. It's a pretty complicated language. It, some people think it would be less, but um, the grammatical structure is very complicated in Japanese versus Chinese is super easy grammar. So um, I was just really drawn to Chinese. Because yeah. it might now, I don't I don't speak any Chinese or Mandarin specifically. I know a couple of phrases in in Japanese, but is it like in in, in Mandarin? Are, are there a lot of uh, missing words that we would use in English, like the the joining words and things like that? Is it much more uh, yeah noun verb that kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. There's no tense, no gender, no conjugation of verbs. <laughs> it's pretty mm, basic. Way easier. So all I got yeah. is uh, let me see if I can do this. Watashi wa jirahanbaiki daisuki. Oh. Oh, oh I, I love vending machines. It's the only thing I, I learned because you can get coffee and tea and vending machines everywhere there. That's funny. Anyway. You're right, you're right. I love it. I love it. <laughs> so how, how long did you spend living abroad uh, before you came back, uh, came back to live in the U.S.? I mean, all total, probably, you know, about a year and a half between the different places. But mm -hmm. yeah, and I, you know, it, and I think it's good for, for people to live in a different culture. It opens you up at a deeper level and you know, it gives you resilience for sure. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Uh, is there, do you ever see yourself, do you think you'd ever go back to, to living outside the U.S.? You and Mario, kids are grown, uh, decide to go, hey, let's yeah. go be an expat somewhere. We got 2020 vision. So um, at the, we've, got, we've got some specific goals for our current businesses. We've got three now, but we've got a end of 2020 is sort of our um, next phase. And so the goal is to live in 2021 in a different country when, for a month at a time. And uh, by then the book will, the next book will be done and I'll be able to travel and, and carry the torch of entrepreneurship on a global scale. That's the goal in, two, in 21. Look at that. Totally yeah. a total prophetic vision. I did not know you wanted to go live back out again. So good for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much fun. Now when you, so you, you come back home and, and you decide you want, what, what was the turning point between, you know, okay, you're, you're studying East, East, East Asian studies. You're thinking, I don't know what I'm going to do for a living, but what was the turning point when you decided just before you founded that first business and you said, okay, now's the time I want to do it. Were you like mm -hmm. wanting to get out of 
look, I don't want to go down that road of having this terrible job? Or was it really like the vision of, of what you wanted to do? Just kind of curious, was it a pull yeah. or a push? It was definitely a pull. I knew I never wanted to be employed by someone else. I mean, I had jobs all through. Our, you know, our father encouraged us to have jobs as kids. And all the way through my schooling, I, I worked. But I knew I didn't want to work for anyone else. And while all my other friends were, you know, um, interviewing for corporations, I was writing the business plan because uh, I knew it was it was meant to be. And so we started an import company. And so Mario and I, him being from Ecuador, me having the Asian connection, that first company in its first iteration was really an import company. And then we needed a, a way to actually move the product, right? We were bringing product from Asia and Latin America. And we needed a way to move the product. So we went from wholesaling. We were wholesaling the product. And it was horrible being a wholesaler. Just never, ever do that. The re retailers are unhappy and they don't pay their bills. And it was just excruciating. And so um, a friend of mine had um, left her job at the Pentagon to be a Mary Kay consultant, believe it or not. Mm. And I was like, what is this? I never even didn't even understand direct selling. But I, I saw the model for its brilliance where I could expand my reach, move our product and make a difference in people's lives. So I, I was helping people start businesses way back in 87. And that's how we built that first business is we had sales reps in about 30 different states. And we built this empire of women who were having a great time with a home business. And uh, we were moving product and we went from yeah. making our own product to actually manufacturing. So, so this wasn't, I just want to be clear because you talked about Mary Kay. This wasn't you building a Mary Kay business as a distributor. Yeah. This was you building your own products yeah. and creating your own network marketing or multi-level marketing company Right. That you grew to two and a half million, that you grew with all these distributors. What, to <laughs> yeah. me, it takes a very special uh, personality and a very special kind of person. People ask a lot, like in, in business coaching, really, really common, you know, like, hey, I have this MLM business or network marketing. Mm. Should I do it? You know, it, this is a good one. And I always say, you know, it takes a special kind of personality to be good at it. But if you are good at it, it's an amazing structure and you'll crush it no matter what the business is, right? No matter what the product is. I, I think. Right. Um, well, you know, yeah. yeah, my intention really when I started it, because, you know, I still have a love-hate relationship with the industry because there's a lot of people who are doing <laughs> well and a lot of people who don't, who don't do well. But Absolutely. I think what's significant maybe for your listeners is I had no clue what I was doing. But what I did know is I'm a disruptor. I wanted to change the industry or at least my little pocket of it. And we did. We, we, we built an organization that had one of the highest per rep sales, um, an amazing retention. You know, we built it as a family. And I have to say that while I didn't change the industry there when I sold that company and then I was asked to come in and consult for other companies that had much bigger, and they were much bigger than my company ever became under my um, toolage. But what I was able to do is then change the industry once I sold my company, because I was able to go into these big organizations who had a, what I would call recruiting or sales process that was totally out of integrity. And so I was able to really make a difference in that industry and shift by me taking the principles that we use with my company into other companies and teach what we would call ethical enrollment. And it was crazy, Matt, like companies like, you know, Arbonne was one of the ones that did the, the, one of the biggest studies, but they tracked 400% increase in recruiting of their sales reps when at three months after I brought in this process, which is a process I teach today to 
entrepreneurs, but 400% increase company-wide. So and when, So when you talk about making an impact and really like changing the trajectory of net, the network marketing business structure in a whole, the, the main mm-hmm. area you focused on then, if I'm hearing you right, is the recruiting process. Um, can you dive a little bit more into that? You know, my experience, I, I've done a couple of different ones as a distributor, as a worker, I've done a quick start with Amway. And then in the real estate business, I, I worked with WFG World Financial Group for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. investments and insurance and we added that on to real estate. Um, to me, and again, it's just as the observer and I've been pitched, I don't know how many times from someone who, you know, gets into a company, it tends to be the, the unethical part in, in my eyes is the kind of the promise and the fantasy and the, Hey, this is going to be toes in the sand in Hawaii. This is going to be your freedom. <laughs> and then it's like, well, just be honest. Cause the truth is it's a lot of hard work. And you're mm-hmm. going to, just like any other business, you're going to work your butt off and you're going to sweat and it's going to be good. And if you can handle that and you're looking for that, then you can build a business. Um, that, that's, that's my take. I don't know if that's at all what you addressed or talked about. What kind of thing would you get into? And, and do you have any advice for someone who's, who's either in or considering working in network marketing? Yeah, I mean, and actually what, I, what I'm going to share is actually it's, it's across the board for everybody. It's why we're focused right now with the tool that we teach and, and the process, the sales process that we teach for, you know, I would say thought leader, entrepreneurs, coaches, speakers, trainers, consultants. It's the same thing with it, that we did way back in the 90s. And that is, it's a shift of a, a perspective of what the sales process or that sales conversation is. And what happens in sales is there's what we call a values disconnect. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, anytime you ask someone to do something that's out of uh, alignment with our values, they're not going to do it very long and they're not going to do it very well. And that's the problem with that industry. But if you can help them see that not only is sales for entrepreneurs or recruiting for MLMers, not only is it um, not out of alignment, but it actually, when done well, can be the greatest expression of their value to serve, to connect. And so that was really what we taught. We taught people to, to really bring ethics into that process and to let go a bit of their need to close and, and see the person and understand the person. And then there's a, a psychological, you know, sort of gymnastics that that prospect needs to go through. And whether it's an MLM or whether it's a coach selling their, their coaching package, they need to be able to understand that psychological process that they're taking the prospect through in order to say yes. And so that's where I, I think our zone of genius is, or I know our zone of genius is, and it's what I'm most excited about today because, Matt, you know this, revenue generation is at the heart of the pain of an entrepreneur. I mean, it causes so much suffering that not able to generate the revenues to then grow the business and take care of themselves. So, and I don't care yeah. how passionate you are about your business, about how much of an impact you want to make. There's so many people, I think, especially again, like you mentioned in the coaching industry, mm-hmm. so many of us, like you start the business to make an impact and because you care about people. Um, but if, if that's the only value and there isn't a bottom line, it's like cash flow still is king. And there's a reason why that exists. It's not a, it might not be about making the money for you, but that's got to be a really high value. Otherwise, you can't get things done. So I have a really, really yeah. high value in selling in the business and in making top revenue because when I do, I know what I get to do with the money. It's not just about making the impact, but it's about hiring people. It's about having a team and supporting their families and having a, a community space. And you know, I don't, I don't need to make more money to buy more cars, but I'm happy to hire someone new, right? And that kind of thing. So yeah. you, gotta, you gotta have that down and you gotta be able to do it ethically. So tell me a little bit about the, the, the ethical side of it. So it sounded like the, the, what I picked up from you was 
it's getting people aligned with the value. So not having them sell or do things outside of their value. Can you explain values yeah. to me? Um, mm-hmm. is, is it morality or how would you define what it is you, you get people aligned with? Well, I mean, I think if I think about and what I would call an enrollment conversation, so that covers everybody, right? An enrollment conversation where there's someone there who um, has an offer and there's someone there who has a need. And the enrollment conversation, what I love, I totally could geek out about this because it's taking care of both individuals on each side of that process. And we, um, we do it through a couple different um, we have a, a process, a five-step process that has, you know, um, in, in other words, moving people through that emotional process through a five steps and knowing what to focus on and, and how to really be honoring the individual in that discovery of what is at the root of their problem and doing it in a way that's ethical. Um, we, we do something really, uh, it's exciting. We've been doing it in-house for about three years. Then I gave it to my private clients and now we're doing it with um, one of our companies is we combine that aroma conversation met with two other tools. We use um, an assessment prior to, and we help people design them so that it really not just gives them the information about the prospect, but more importantly, gives the prospect this gift of discovery. Like even before the person comes to the enrollment conversation, you've already delivered value because they're more crystal clear about where they are and and where they're on track and what are the missing pieces. So then when they come to that conversation, we have that assessment results in front of both of us. But we also add in this slide deck. And it's so funny. I've, I've been sharing this with a lot of thought leaders like yourself where using a slide deck takes care of both individuals because it ensures that the rhythm of what has to happen in the enrollment conversation happens. So and when you say slide deck, you're talking about following like a keynote PowerPoint, something like that. Right, right. And, and, and of course, you know, you're on camera in the beginning, so you have the connection, but then you move over to that. It creates such ease for the person who's leading that conversation. It makes sure that they're hitting the most important pieces and it, and it keeps the prospect focused and engaged. It's just, we're, we're having such fun with the, the, so it's really a three part, you know, um, three legged stool. It's, it's the process of what you're using. It's, it's the assessment prior to, to get them connected and clear. And then it's this PowerPoint that really moves people through the process. And then at the end, making that offer and explaining how you can help them is so much easier because there's a visual component. You've done all the rapport building and the connecting and the gathering of information. So it's to me, you know, this process of mastering enrollment, it is the most important skill. It comes before even speaking right? Because we speak to get leads. (laughs) But if you don't know how to do the enrollment conversation, it doesn't matter how many leads you have. Too many people are shooting at the hip and missing the opportunity to serve. The the thing we don't need more of most often is leads. We need more clients. So (laughs) you you talked about kind of different phases of it. And I want to, I want to focus on that early phase and we sort of glazed over it, but I want to spend our last little bit of time on that, especially talked about having the assessment done. So I know you have um, done quizzes, assessments. Essentially, it's the idea that when a lead comes in, they come in to take this a, a quiz. And I think we've all done quizzes online. You know, that Cosmo has been doing quizzes for for years in the magazine. <laughs> Facebook has the four question quiz, which celebrity you like or whatever it is. Explain how how a quiz or an assessment connects and qualifies a prospect, and then mm-hmm. who, how how do we use it? Yeah, there's a little confusion out in the marketplace of what it is. So in, oh, in yeah. our world, yeah. So we, assessments, we call it quizzes because that's what people associate with. But it's where you're basically, as a coach, so you're a life coach, you have what we call realms of impact. 
So when you work with a client, there are certain realms of that relationship and that person's life that you're impacting. So we teach people how to design an assessment that basically measures on a scale of one to 10 where that prospect is in each of those realms of impact. So they come, so the first stage is rapport building, right? So it's it's a way for that, um, the individual who's doing, conducting, leading that conversation to know instantly, I can look at an assessment two minutes before the call starts. And I know we have the, the one, one to 10, sort of what we call the aptitude, where they are in their process, where they're strong, where they're missing. And then we ask three questions at the bottom, open-ended questions. So rather than you reading through this long-ended, open-ended survey that takes me 15 minutes to read, I have a picture of where that person is. So when I'm on the call, they feel seen, heard, and understood, which is a need we all have. What also happens is they come clear. They know where they're rocking it. And we start the conversations with where they scored themselves high. So we're already building, you know, that sense of, of um you know, respect. We're also honoring where they are on track. Most people, you know, they're, they're looking for the place where they're screwing up and where the pain is. So that more than just a quiz, like you, it's almost more similar. It sounds like to like when you're doing an application an assessment application where they're giving you their information, but they're saying, Hey, this is where I am. They're rating themselves in some cases. Mm -hmm. And then ultimately now you have the tools, you know, more about them, you know, what their pain and pleasure areas are, you know, what they're actually looking for. And then you can essentially go in the direction that they're, that they're wanting, right? Right, right. Because the problem with the open-ended surveys that a lot of people, probably your listeners are using, is when a person answers an open-ended question, like let's say, Matt, I were to ask, um, answer a survey, I'm going to tell you the same story I've been telling myself, right? Versus right. with assessment, it's a truth teller. You know, it's black and white. It's right there. It's numerical. And so what it also does in the sales conversation, so we start off celebrating where they're strong. Then we ask them why. So we're learning about their strengths. And then we, we go over to say, let's look to where you scored yourself low. And what that does is it's an easy transition for the salesperson because that's sometimes a hard transition. So, so let's look at where you scored yourself low. And it's there in black and white. It's, it allows you to really explore why they scored themselves low. And, and obviously, because you've built the assessment to function this way, every place they scored themselves low, then when you get to the offer stage, Matt, what you do is you're explaining your process of working with the client, whether it's a course or whether it's a, a, a six-month coaching package, you're able to be very specific to where they scored themselves low, how you can help them. And you have something, you know, in, in one of your businesses, you've created uh, the smart biz quiz. Mm -hmm. And as we're coming sort of to the twilight of our time together, I want to make sure that uh, we know what we can do with this because yeah. this is phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Um, you have something called the smart, smartbizquiz.com. So if you guys check out smartbizquiz.com, um, I believe you can activate a free subscription and get in, like you can create your own assessment and try it out. Like right now you can, create an assessment that you would use in your business or with your clients and it's totally free. And, uh, there's a video on here and you can just check out how it works. So what, uh, describe that for me, make sure I'm not butchering the process too badly. <laughs> no, you were perfect. Okay, um, so great. we used to, in the beginning, when we first launched the company, you know, we would sell that for a $1,500 package and we would, you know, go in and we would support people in building it. And what we realized is there's a method to all of this. So my tech team went back, completely rebuilt the quiz builder. And that's why we offered for free. Cause I want every thought leader to have this tool in their arsenal. They go in and they pick their niche. We're always adding new niches, but if you're a health coach, you pick health coach. 
And then if you say, well, I want to use this in front of my strategy session, then you pick that and then it auto-populates it. So we're basically creating the first draft. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. It's amazing. Uh, it's like, it, well, it's just step by step. It's all plug and play. So you just pick your niche. You pick where you want it to go in your sequence. So do you want this to be engaged clients already that you do something different with? Or is it at the front end of a funnel? Yeah. Uh, make it personal and then put it right in. So you can get that right now. Um, we we want to keep this uh, in, in in the... Unfortunately, we got to keep it in our time frame. Yeah, because here we are. Here we are. Because this is also, it's not just on iTunes. We're on the radio. So if you're listening to this in the car, driving home, check it out when you get home. Go to smartbizquiz.com. We've been talking with Jane Duber. You can find out more about Jane Duber at uh, Facebook at Jane Duber. It's D-E-U-B-E-R. Jane Duber. D-O-B-E-R. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, just about right. And then again, uh, the website is smartbizquiz.com and you can sign up and get a free uh, activation and try it out. Check out the assessment, uh, build it, and then give it to some people, uh, give it to some of your prospects, put it on your social media, see how people react to it. Check this out. It might be one of those important things you do for your business. Jane, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for spending the time. Uh, It was good to get to know you a little more too. And um, I can't wait. We got to do it again. Will you come back on at some point? I would love that, Matt. Thank you so much for having me on. Thanks, Jane. All right, everyone. That was Jane Duber. Remember, facebook.com at Jane Duber and smartbizquiz.com to get your own assessment. It's totally free. Check it out. Nothing to lose, everything to gain. Uh, She's a dear, dear friend and she is super in integrity, the person you want to listen and follow and work with in your business. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe, rate and review on iTunes if you haven't already. I'm just giving you that call out. We really appreciate it. Follow me on Instagram at Matt Browning and all social media, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, And you can check out uh, all the rest of the podcast archives that are going on up. Have an awesome day as usual. Get out there and crush it. 